Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I have a very special guest today, one of the producers of The Son of Sophia, which will make its world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in the International Narrative Competition. This producer of The Son of Sophia is Yorgos Canavas. Did I get it correct, uh, uh, Yorgos? Okay. <laughs> well, well, thank you for being on the show. This is really an international uh, exciting event. Tell us, as we speak, where are you located? I'm located in beautiful Athens, Greece. Ah. The weather today was really cool. We have a good spring. We had a good winter, heavy winter. Now we're heading towards the, you know, the... How can I say the beautiful Greek summer? It's unavoidable that it will happen in some months. It's it sounds absolutely beautiful. All right then. So we are speaking to you from Greece. I am in Washington D.C. Now we know where everyone is. We're going to talk about a film that you uh, produced, Son of Sophia. This is uh, this is exciting. Well, first of all, how do you feel about Tribeca Festival? Uh, and you're making your world premiere there. That must be exciting. Well, yes, it's something we all the team we look very much forward to. Um, to tell you the truth, it's going to be my first time in Tribeca. I've never been to this festival before, and uh, I hope it's going to be cool. And uh, people will, you know, will react to the film, and we're kind of certain that we will have a good time in any way. In any case, yes. <laughs> Well, it's quite something, and and this is your first time to, uh, that you'll be at the Tribeca Festival, you, you said? Yes, yes, it's it's gonna be my first time in Tribeca Film Festival. Wow, and you've got and you've got a film, Son of Sophia, being uh, screened there. I I, I want to mention the public screening schedule is um, uh, April twenty first at six thirty p.m. at the uh, Rigo number five and. Then there's another screening on April 22nd at 4.45 at the Cinema 01. 
And then the third screening, April 23rd, 6.45 p.m. at the Regal 9. And finally, fourth screening on April 28th at 4 p.m. at the Scene 09. And I will we'll talk about that more later, but I just wanted you to get your pens and paper out so you'll know the schedule. But back to the film, Son of Sophia. I'm going to just throw out some things and, and let you tell us, Yorgos, if I'm close or what you want to say about it. We're kind of in a world of fairy tales. I know Americans kind of think that fairy tales are American, but they uh, most of the fairy tales are not American at all. <laughs> but uh, here we've got in your film, Son of Sophia, we've got um, fairy tales and um, the Olympics, uh, Russian-Ukraine issues, and swirling around maybe even a little... Um, um, young versus old um, conflict, distance. What are your thoughts about that? <laughs> Am I close or? <laughs> yes, of course. You, you, I mean, you, you referred to almost every topic uh, addressed in the film. Um, well, I would like, I would, I would pitch the film uh, like you know, it's. Uh, it's a dark fairy tale. It's a coming-of-age story. At the same time, it's set in the Athens Olympic game back in 2004, which, let's say, it is the last glorious time of the Greek modern history, at least for the people outside of Greece. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a good reason to, to hear about Greece back then. Um, but for us here was, let's say, the starting of the decadence. Maybe a lot of our problems lay back in this period. So, you know, the story is very deliberately set back in this date and is trying to talk about this kid that is coming to meet up with his mother. This kid is from Russia. His mother is Russian. She's working in Greece and she comes to live with her um, at last. Mm-hmm. And uh, things have evolved in a very surprising way in a way. Very interesting. And uh, is it too much to say that um, that the 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 man who sort of comes to his mother's rescue and by extension the rescue of the son of Sophia uh, is known as Grandpa Earth? What can you tell us about that? This character was designed actually on a real character that existed uh, back in the 70s. You know, when we had the public, only the public television was uh, broadcasting in Greece. Uh, so we had uh, a zone in our television which was called the educational television. And we had this guy, of course, it, it is not the same guy, but we had this guy that uh, he was hosting a daily show. He was saying fairy tales, narrating fairy tales, and mm-hmm. he was, you know, kind of enacting all the fairy tales. So, yes. You know, especially for, for people my age, I'm 44 right now, um, you know, it, it, is a, it is a very strong uh, local memory, but uh, on the other side, um, we hope that it gives um, a peculiar image and, you know, something really weird in the movie, because, you know, this guy um, who used to be a star, you know, a, a strange star in the television, now he's... He's making some little money as an extra on TV shows. So, um, yeah, it was, um, you know, 
us it was really interesting when we, we found the idea interesting and uh, the whole character was designed uh, on that and uh, the whole story of his television past plays a big role in the film. Yes, but subtly so. We, it really sort of unravels slowly. I mean, it takes a while even before we really know what's motivating. I, I, I'd say he has layers of motivation of what motivates his relationship with the son of Sophia, who is Misha or Michael. And and anything, if, if people are thinking from what uh, Yorgos has said, that this is anything like Mr. Roberts, with all due respect to America's Mr. Rogers, this goes far beyond that. Son of Sophia is a is a masterpiece of of lighting and use of light and contrasts. And dare I say, Yogos, is that because of? Well, maybe I should just ask you. But it seems to me, is is the use of light and space in the film meant to show how separate and distant we can be from one another? Even though physically we're in close proximity, is that? Am I looking for too much? Yes, this is this is uh, I think a very clear directing concept uh. Uh, in the film. Uh, the director is trying to use the house that this um, this kind of Greek family lives in and use the walls as, as and the doors and the light and the night and the dark uh, in a way that is um, you know supporting what is going on. Uh, the story at the time so yes it's um, for us it's really it's um, I think it's really important that uh, you know for this kid coming from Russia he gets to you know he has to live in this house in this kind of heavily decorated house of his old man mm. and um, he has to pass a long uh, of time with him because you know his mother is working so um, and it's kind of instrumental when for the first time I think maybe you remember when he opens up the, the blindfolds and uh, lets the light gets in the house so then speaking yes um, um, the director I think trying to use the dark and light in a, in a way that it resonates with uh, the story and I guess we should mention at this point that um, uh, the, the director is Elena, and you're going to have to tell me how to say her last name. Elena. Yeah, it's, it's very simple. Elena Psico. Elena Psico. Okay. Psico. Psico. Elena Psico. Uh, it's her second film. Her previous film was in. It was called the name of her. The debut film was the eternal return of Antonis Paraskevans, a really long title. Mm-hmm. It was also a story that had to do with the, with the television. I think this is something that really, you know, it's in, it's in her primal interest. It's, it was a story of a journalist who fakes his disappearance in accordance with his boss in order to make the ratings go up. Mm-hmm. But things don't go as they planned. And this film was um, premiered in 2013 in Berlinale and uh, played all around the world in Toronto, BFI in London, in you know, a big festival. And actually, Linus was one of the 10 European directors to watch uh, mm. based on the variety list in 2013. Wow. Yes. So she, she seems to be, Elena, seems to be um, a director who again, conceptualizes with space and light and layers of meaning, of metaphor, uh, of irony, 
and and she and she does beautiful work with what I like to say movies are about pictures, you know, it's about what we see in the frame. And she fills the frame often, not so much uh, with close-ups as we're used to in America, but she fills the frame with the location so that you see the contrast of here we are, again, I say, in this small place, and yet we're so distant from one another. Again, am I going too far, Ayoko? So what what are your thoughts? No, no, no. I think that uh, it's a way to, to see the film. Um, yes, I think, uh, you know, Elena is writing also the script. She's the script writer, uh, as is the director. So I think she has a, a 100% a creative control of, mm-hmm. uh, on what you see on the screen. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, I think she's, uh, she's an artist that um, she's, she's trying to narrate on multiple layers. Yes. She's trying to say simple stories but, but that they mean a lot of things or that they could mean a lot of things yes and they are open for people to uh, to relate and you know to you know at any at, at any any point they understand or they feel like you know it's it's just a human story that is trying to say bigger story as well yes Yes, and, and and that's what I was trying to say, too. I couldn't agree more. It seems, I mean, one can certainly enjoy and indeed be moved by this uh, son of Sophia, um, you know, simply uh, on its surface of a an 11-year-old coming-of-age movie for Misha, Michael. As you say, he uh, um, he flies from Russia and suddenly he's in Athens, Greece, and his life has changed completely. But the use of fairy tales that, that we're familiar with and and how they intertwine in the story, they're really used to bridge the two lives of mother and son and and uh, and son and his new stepfather and and his new life and and you think you know the you think you're watching a, a, um, a reenactment, perhaps, of a story, uh, a fairy tale, but it's really a bridge between these characters. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, this is, uh, you know, it's kind of open to, to see it also like this. Mm-hmm. Like that. I mean, um, yes, this is something that um, I think somebody, if somebody watched the film, and, mm-hmm. uh, he could, um, what you just said, it's something that might, uh, might make sense to him. And um, on a very personal level, I think that the bottom line of uh, the, the very human um, basis of this film is, um, and it's, um, it comes also, you know, it's, it's kind of important to have the title of the film in mind, that it's Son of Sophia, so it's the two of them. It's uh, basically... And actually, it's 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 a, you know it's it's a small um, how can I say it's it's a way I like to, to you know it's it's a thing that I like to think when I see the film is that because I'm also a father uh, it's all these mistakes that not uh, sorry not mistakes it's all these little lies that we say to our uh, kids yes um, and we say them for the total good you know we don't have a bad intention. Mm-hmm. But uh, each small lie creates a bigger lie, mm-hmm. and um, 
you know, it gets bigger and bigger and it just keeps making things worse. And, uh, you know, we usually do it uh, because we don't want to hurt uh, the young kids or we don't think they are capable of understanding if we open up and we say, should say, you know, in a straightforward way what is going on. And uh, usually this kind of life is um, what uh, are the biggest problems in the parental relationship. And this is something that, uh, that I really like in this film. I mean, you know, what... Uh, Mother is trying also always to protect the kid mm-hmm. by, by saying small, small lies to him mm-hmm. because she thinks that this is a great thing to, to do, and she always gets deeper into it. Uh, this is something that I really like about the film. You know, I... and also this is something that I really, I really relate to because I often catch myself doing that with my son, and I say, "Wow, well, you know, <laughs> stop doing that." You know. Yes. <laughs> You know, I, I hear exactly what you're saying, and indeed that is in the film. I, We do sort of think we are protecting children by, as you, as you put it so well, little lies. But those little lies, uh, I think, cause more confusion. And, of course, children believe, be, believe what their parents say. So if you tell a little lie and then you have to retell it or adjust it, and then it becomes a bigger lie, uh, it leads to confusion and a lack of trust. So it's a... Uh, this film is such a balance between realism and dreams. It's, um, but but you're right. Little lies. Everything starts with a little lie. Hmm. We're going to stop on that note. I think that's a good place to regroup for another segment. Uh, uh, we're talking to one of the producers of Son of Sofia, Yorgos Kanarvas. I think I'm getting that correct. And he is. We're talking to him as he is in Greece. So we'll be right back. Stay with us. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Andy Film Minute. Quentin Tarantino has virtually created his own genre, a hybrid of noir storytelling with villains, surreal violence, and a flowing, precise, and literate dialogue delivered with a cadent sincerity. The combination adds up to stories far greater than the sum of their parts. Perrier's Bounty is not a Tarantino film, but it is certainly a wannabe. An Irish offering, it stars Killian Murphy as unlucky hustler Michael McRae and a perfectly droll Brendan Gleeson as Perrier, the crime boss. This is a story of those who have chosen a darker path. McRae owes a debt to Perrier that he cannot pay. Enforcers are here to collect or break two bones, you choose which. But when one enforcer is killed and the other flees to tell the tale, Perrier issues a bounty on the head of McRae. Add in a suicidal love interest, variously colorful underworld scum, vicious fighting dogs and their owners with tender hearts and tough exteriors, the Grim Reaper himself, and finally McRae's dad, played by the wonderful Jim Broadbent. Filled with dark comedic moments, Perrier's bounty lounges in the house that Tarantino built. But since Tarantino only makes a film every three years or so, this one ably titillates our darker selves until his return. Well worth the price of admission. Perrier's Bounty. Out in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today is one of the producers of Son of Sophia, which will make its world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in the International Narrative Competition. Yoros Karanavas. 
and I hope I pronounced his name correctly, is a producer at Heretic. We've been talking about this, the film, Son of Sophia, and how the director has mixed realism and dreams and uh, the, the use of lights and uh, shades from everything from uh, absolute darkness to uh, the brightness of the dawn and the 11-year-old coming of age, what mothers will do to protect their children, what parents say when they think they're being protective, all of that is in this movie. It's an amazing story that moves gently and with every scene gives you, I think, another layer to be absorbed into. And you wonder, you think you know what's happening, but you have to stay with it through the end because the layers that, as they are added on, uh, take on a life of their own. But enough of, enough of me. Back to Yoros. You told us earlier in the last segment that you're. this is the first time you'll be going to the Tribeca Film Festival, and you're going as a, a, a co-producer of an, a Son of Sophia, an entry being screened at Tribeca Film Festival. So, first of all, when will you be coming to New York? some stuff because the crew will follow on the 19th. We will have um, the, the main actress of the film. Uh-huh. And, uh, the main actor of the film, but the old guy, not the young kid, because it's impossible to, uh, to travel. Uh, we will have the DOP of the film, uh, the costume designer of the film, of course the director, and um, the sound designer. You know, we have a bunch of big well, you'll you'll feel right at home. I promise you. <laughs> what I've always what I've always loved about living in New York, I would say, it's an international city. Everyone's there. The whole the world whole world is represented. So tell us uh, again, if you wouldn't mind, give us the name of the director. The name of the director is Elena Psycho. Okay, because she has done some wonderful work, and so have other people. So perhaps you could uh, tell us something about the, you know, the cast members, the, the mother, the son, uh, the yes, yes. grandpa, uh, Earth. Who are they played by? And and uh, tell us a little something about them, if you don't mind. Of course, of course. Uh, so the principal cast of the film is uh, Victor Conant. Um, it's a boy of 11 years old. Mm-hmm. It was a street casting. Uh, mm. We found him on the street while we were casting for the film. It was really difficult for us to, to find this, uh, this kid in Greece. Mm. We were casting for some months and we, I think we actually saw every single kid that uh, <laughs> yes. Russian here in Greece. Mm. Uh, so we were very lucky to stumble upon him. Um, it was uh, Victor was an ex- uh, exceptional kid, and I think he he did a very a very good performance playing Lisa. Yes. His mother is uh, performed by Valeria Planova. She's a German actress, um, but uh, with the Russian roots. Um, she's resident uh, in the Munich Theater, and she's considered she's considered to be one of the most important theater actors. In Germany, mm-hmm. and the old guy, uh, Papa Earth, is uh, played by Mr. Fanasis Papayergiu. He's one of the most uh, respected um, actors of, you know, in Greece, and he's also the um, president of the National Theatre of Greece. 
you know, it was not easy to cast this film. I mean, mm. you know, it's, it's, not, yes. uh, it's, it's a difficult story in terms of casting, but uh, I think that Elinor managed to get some good performances out of her principal casts. Oh, yes. Not to say also the other the cast members, but uh, I think the, it was, um, it's, um, in terms of cast, uh, acting, the film is, is on a good level. Oh, I, I agree, uh, absolutely. And even the, the roles that are not major roles, they seem so perfectly cast. So much is accomplished both visually, but uh, uh, the way uh, Elena has placed the cast within the room over a tea party. I mean, you're having tea, and yet so much is learned about the relationships, uh, but about the people themselves, and about, uh, dare I say, about Greece. It's quite something what can what can happen over tea. <laughs> you know, we we can all relate to the older lady who comes with all the questions. I have very I have an aunt who's very much like that. And as I watch the movie, I'm like, ah, yes. So who? Some ladies that they live on to my questions. Yes. <laughs> and and throughout the film, the. It is, it is clear, you make it clear uh, in so many ways that Michael, Misha, say, it, it is, um, it has a very special relationship with his mother. And part of the way that's made clear is that they speak Russian while the other characters in the film speak Greek. Mm-hmm. And that, that adds again that layer of... Uh, and of course the mother bridges both languages. So... It's again, I think it brings home that here we are in this life together, sort of thrown together and trying to uh, connect and yet we, co- we come from different POVs. Uh, speaking of POVs, tell us about your director of photography because that was some artistic work. Yes, Leonisis um, is... Um... He's a very experienced beauty. He has um, many films on his CV. Uh, uh, we worked together on Elena's previous film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they are, they are a team that uh, they work very well together. They know each other, you know. Yes. And, um, yes, I also believe that um, he did, um, you know, he did a very good job in, in, uh, in, the, way, in the photography of the film. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, I think that um, it, it was also important for us, especially for me speaking as a producer, to show the production value of the film because, you know, for us, in order to make uh, all this, um, how can I say it, this um, multi-format uh, things like the serials you see in the television, the, the shows of uh, Mr. Mikos and all that, it was not an easy goal to achieve. And I think that uh, we managed to, to make them look like, you know, it was kind of found footage, you know, real stuff. Yes. So I think that, uh, that it's... I'm, I'm really happy about what they, what they did. Yes. So everyone arrives and the screenings start, as I mentioned earlier, on April 21st and April 22nd, April 23rd, and April 28th. Tell us how, do you know how one can arrange to, to get tickets for the screenings? Yes, uh, he just has to go to the Tribeca official site and uh, book his tickets. And also it would be really, really cool. 
cool if uh, they can find us on Facebook. It's slash son of Sophia not hashtag. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, we would love to, to talk to people via, uh, via Facebook and we, we will have a very nice surprise heading towards the screen. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be really cool if you, you know, uh, people uh, join us on Facebook and uh, get some extra, you know, stuff that we will circulate to. Yes. So this is the only thing that we want, that people come and see the film and they talk about it even if they like it or not, you know, that it's, uh, it becomes a topic of conversation. This yes. is the only reason why we make films, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, so, that's it. Son of Sophia is coming in New York. Exactly. <laughs> and and that's and that's the beautiful thing. And it has, and we haven't even scratched the surface of what is uh, in this film, Son of Sophia. We are teasing you as much as possible, but it is beautiful visually, and the layers of uh, are are left to you to discover and to interpret as the audience, as you will. The ending is uh, well. The ending is 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 worth coming to see to see the whole movie, and then and 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 we won't say anything about the ending. But I will say that there's. Uh, Son of Sophia has taken fairy tales and um, child play and acting out one's uh, dreams um, and and Im- one's imagination to whole new levels. And the acting out metaphorically as well as uh, actually and how that lends to the film its dream quality and yet it couldn't be more realistic. People may forget that the Olympics actually started with uh, Greece, and uh, yes. there's a uh, give us a little of that history because even that weaves its way in in a very positive way, and uh, as a, as a piece of the foundation that holds Son of Sophia together. Uh, tell us about that. Look, the decision to to set uh, the story during the Athens Olympic Games was um, we had two things in our mind. The first thing that, um, as I told you, for us Olympic Games, the Athens Olympic Games kind of mean the start of the Greek crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. uh, it was the last, let's say, as I told you in the beginning, the last glorious reason for, you know, the last good memory of the Greek in the international media. The second thing is that, um, you know, um, it gave us the opportunity to to find, um, um, we think that, uh, you know, uh, setting up the film during this international event, which is something that all people know, yes. it makes um, the story more easy to access people. I mean, you know, they know what it means, you know, to have the Olympic Games and what, you know, what it is when a city is having the Olympic Games and all the stories behind that. And we just kind of felt, you know, that it made uh, total sense about uh, uh, setting the story then. And as we were researching and, you know, because the initial idea was always, you know, to have a Russian kid coming there, we found the idea with... uh, with Anissa, I will not comment further because it's going to be a big spoiler. So, and it totally resonates, you know? 
Yes. You know, it touched me on many levels, uh, Son of Sophia, but it reminded me, one, one piece of it that reminded me of my childhood, my father loved sports and always wanted me to be a part of his love for sports, whereas I was uh, more artistically uh, inclined and loved film and television and theater. But he did force me once to go to a ball game and ironically, because I watched movies so much as a child, movies in America, when it came to baseball, were all about the New York Yankees. So it happened that the New York Yankees were playing the local Washington, D.C. Uh, baseball team that my father loved, that he forced me to go see. And I was rooting for the New York Yankees because I knew who they were from the movies. <laughs> so... <laughs> And I, I, I sort of, as, as I watched some uh, uh, part of what was going on in Son of Sophia, it reminded me of that, and, and, and which goes back to the casting of uh, Misha, the boy who plays Misha, 11-year-old, how much he accomplishes without, when he's not speaking. You know, the story is on his face and in his reactions and in his eyes and in his as as his glance his turn every uh, you know a move of the head and you you he speaks volumes without even speaking sometimes what what do you think did you find that uh, to be true yes i think so i think so i think that uh, victor uh, has a nature talent and we really like to find him and um, i think that um, um, I think everyone should be happy with the work of everyone on this film, Son of Sophia. It is an amazing piece of work. Uh, it goes, it stretches the limits of a coming-of-age story, fairy tales, um, the the goals of um, people who, uh, you know, you you have a wonderful life, and and at some point maybe some people will look back and think, oh, maybe if I can't pass it on to the next generation, you know, was it really? Uh, was the journey worth it? I mean, it just has so much in it. Again, layers and layers of, of things we can take literally and, and, of course, we can find meaning in and provide our own meaning. It really is ultimately a film that allows the audience to be a participant, don't you think, uh, Joros? I think so, yes. That's, uh, that's the reason, um, you know, um, I think why films exist. Yes. Um, it's, you know, it's to, to see something that makes sense to you and uh, start a conversation and make a memory and, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's nothing else. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's all the reason behind it. So just people of, <laughs> of wherever you're listening, just come and see the film. Exactly. 
All right, so we can get tickets by going on the website of the Tribeca Film Festival. And remember, Son of Sophia will make its world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in April in the International Narrative Competition. We've been talking to one of its producers of Son of Sophia, Yorgos Canavas, and we'd like you to find Son of Sophia on Facebook and like it. How's that, Yorgos? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, thank you, so, thank you so very much for talking to us, and we wish you and Son of Sophia and all the cast, and especially the director, all the very best in New York and at the Tribeca Film Festival. All right? Thank you very much for having us, Marcelo. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Ciao. Ciao. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. The folks behind the Before Trilogy take a certain pride in being the lowest-grossing franchise in filmdom. Their pride comes from the creation of a unique work of art, an exploration of a fictional relationship as it progresses through the years. Not fictional years, but real ones. Before Sunrise introduced us to young Jesse and Celine, who meet in Vienna and fall in love before morning. Before Sunset leaps forward ten years when our lovers meet again after living separate lives. Each segment explores a budding relationship, but neither brings resolution. We must wait years to know what happens. And now, in Before Midnight, we again enter their lives. They have established a life together, and the years have weighed heavily. Each knows the other's weak spots and vulnerabilities. Words cut deep, and the couple have become ninjas with emotional weaponry. Before Midnight is a brutal observation of life in the style of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. This is no longer romance. It's life at a critical juncture. Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy turn in exceptional performances in their recurring roles. The range of emotion is broad and delivered as an extraordinary musician might weave through an aria. The film leaves us breathless and still waiting to see what happens next. Before Midnight, not in theaters, discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Donald Trump, an American opioid. In the 21st century beginning, man said, Law and order prisons have little law and order. Health insurers desert ACA and it's Obamacare's fault. Millions elect to bypass the ballot in favor of passing remote drinks and meds in a party as barbaric as Fortress America mushroomed. But hooked, we can't get enough of the addiction du jour, Donald Trump. And man said, the info noise became too much of too little. High on the useless and outfoxed on overdosing, he declared, this land is my land to border up. Following the echo of his own voice, the man pumped smog, pushing haze, seeking a shining light upon a hill, straining to save his family's past, since God and country failed to exhale the final puff of the rocket's red glare, now but embers pulsating from middle America. And the man said, 
If you could see America the beautiful through my eyes, the pale-faced country of thee I sing, excluding pretend citizens fleeing menial tasks during the great Republican banker-induced recession, when healthy pharmaceuticals most needed your insurance desperation and deplorable wages acceptance. You'd see it's the white man's land of the free. Placing his faith in a home of the brave that guaranteed against all odds liberty and freedom for working white middle-class families, cherishing an inbred pride in the exceptional prowess and international reputation of kind superiority over our little brown brothers, even when suffering the nightmarish pretense that black lives matter as much as women kept in their places. The man said, It's alt-right and good. Limping through the maze of what is now, the man denies all capsulized dreams drifting diversity, diversely dividing divinity. Climate change is a Chinese trick meant to devalue traditional blue-collar employment. Liberals tried to redefine America by electing a president who looked like no other. The man's sustainability? Outsiders chanting jobs, 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 making America great again. Narrowly limping on, until the reality of a reality show host firing off executive orders between Mar-a-Lago visits clashed with the man's desires to defeat a secret Obama government in exile while clinging to his Obamacare. Trump Tower now in sight so intoxicating, the man hurls in the rising tide, slurring his pledge, hearty before country. Now the root of all evil has been successfully injected into the national vein of wisdom to follow the money. The man, breathing heavily now through darkening city streets, dragging his feet to the sunny side to avoid intersections engaged in the art of the drug deal, fears the bankruptcy of any chance to surmount the bull of Wall Street, where soccer moms and hockey women are beckoned to be abused, underpaid, and serve as generational examples. The female of the species couldn't be allowed to diminish man's place in the sun, for though a girl, bronze ensconced, may reach for the high life, she's devalued by groper-in-chief worshippers. The man with raised right hand swears in proclamation, Mike Pence, Steve Bannon, Priebus, Flynn, Devin Nunes, Mick Mulvaney, Paul Ryan, Paul Manafort, Gowdy, Carter Page, Idaho's Larry Craig, and Florida's Mark Foley are America. Earth's comeback, a frigid winter blast in his face, warning through clenched ice teeth, Liberals have left behind no one save those who chose to embrace the shadow of towering falsehoods. Stunned by the Siberian twist, the man blinks in disbelief, wondering for a moment if rust, coal, and oil jobs have reached the point of no return. Nonetheless, brandishing his cane, the man waves off the inclement claim, assuring himself Alex Jones can resurrect him with ping-pong and a rush refill. Limping bent over under raining pellets of burning hail, the man returns to the hill. Marcello Rolando here. 
When we allow demoralizing fear of truth to degrade our nation, we are dealers dealing grief to those individuals self-deposed from the ranks of majority to the educationally and politically depressed. Aided and abetted by the very same aging conservative male Republicans for whom they voted. Thus are the poor and working middle class extinguished to extinction. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.